Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantelle. And normally we'd have Tiso here with us, but as he's not, we're going to do a Surviving Society alternative to Women's Hour. Woohoo! <laughs> um, so this week, Chantelle and I are actually going to talk about the same news topic to start with because we were both listening to Radio 4 yesterday uh, on the Today programme. We both heard the same news item, which uh, is also on the BBC website, and I'll read a little bit of it because it made us so angry. So uh, the title is Catherine Deneuve Defends Men's Right to Hit on Women. French actress Catherine Deneuve has said that men should be free to hit on women. She's one of a hundred French women who wrote an open letter warning about a new puritanism sparked by recent sexual harassment scandals. It deplores a wave of denunciations following rape allegations made against US movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. So this is, I mean, it's like, almost like they've done it just to be annoying because it's such an unbearably obnoxious thing to do to start with like just to write a letter an open letter telling women off for saying that they don't like it when men harass them that's basically what they're saying yeah no definitely it's it's like a a tool to silence yeah, women. It's like and what a be- what a better way to shut up women than to t- get other women to yeah, shut us up. Exactly. Um, it was such an annoying news item on the uh, Today program as well because you know how much the BBC loves to be balanced. Oh well, God. they weren't balanced on this topic because so, there was. Yeah, no, there was no. So they had this French woman who I think she must have signed it. I don't know who she was. Um, talking about how, you know, all these things had happened to her in her life, like, you know, when she was a teenager, someone touched her bum, or, like, you know, she got harassed on a bus. She was like, well, I wasn't traumatised. And frankly, we think it's ridiculous that all these women are equating sexual harassment with rape. And they didn't have anyone being like, this woman is being ludicrous. Like, obviously, all these things are part of the same system of oppression, whereby men are told that it's okay to touch women's bodies whenever they feel like it because you know yeah really deep down women like it yeah in fact the more i think about that news item and i'm tempted to listen to it again actually the more i think actually this podcast is an official complaint to the bbc (laughs) that that was not balanced that, that there was no one on the other side. It was just, oh, right, um, these women are attacking women who feel like, who are attacking women who um, say they feel traumatised by harassment. And that's it. That, that's the end of it. That That's it's that's just, the news item. But, I mean, the irony of it is, as well, is, like, France is terrible for sexual harassment like mm, you know mm. London's bad I don't know like yeah. York was bad I other parts of the UK I'm not so familiar with mm-hmm. um, but France so I lived in Paris really briefly for about six months when I was 18 and um, I was a nanny and so I would walk like 15 minutes from my flat to the house of the kids that I was looking after every morning. This is like seven in the morning. So I'm walking by myself down the street. I would have three or four, like three or four guys being like, oh, do you want a cafe? Like, oh, do you want to have a coffee with me? Uh. Which everyone knows is code for let's have sex. And like, you just, like every day, that was every single day like that has never happened to me in London and it was everywhere and like just the absolute freedom which with which men felt like they could just like touch women or like harass women and talk to women like okay yeah wolf whistling is not gonna kill you mm. but that doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like constant like warfare going outside and feeling like you're always on the lookout like I remember like watching this documentary and I know she's not very fashionable because she was really racist, which is fair enough. But um, Marilyn French, who was a second wave um, feminist, she wrote a book called The Women's Room. 
which again is really racist, um, but quite interesting as a sort of like historical artifact. And she was being interviewed in this documentary just before she died. And she was like, you know, all women know by the age of seven that they are prey. Like, like within the home, outside the home, mm. we are all taught mm. that you have to be ready to defend yourself. Mm. And actually, lots of the time when something terrible happens, you can't defend yourself. Like, you know, like you can't. So yeah, to have these yeah. women like sitting on high being like, oh, but poor men, you know, like, they can't they ask can't us to have with their same Yeah, more. they can't ask us to have sex with them at seven in the morning when they're just trying to go to work and they're not really wanting, like, it's clearly not a sexualized situation and that woman clearly does not want to have sex with you. Mm. I mean, on the on the flip side, you spoke about your time in Paris. I can talk about my time more recently living in London. And it sounds like it would possibly be unrelated. But the more I think about it, the more I think mm. there is a relationship with it. Since, and I've spoke about this story on previous podcasts, since the Brexit vote, I've definitely had a lot more people either um, abuse me racially in public um, or sexually harass me in public spaces. Now, I think, I think when I first started to realise that sexual harassment was not only humiliating, but also something that I would come across in my everyday, was when I first started working behind a bar, mm-hmm. um, which was um, at university in the student union, and the way me and my friends were preyed on um, when by other students, by other male students. Um, I went to Loughborough University, just FYI. Um, it's a big sport university. Was It's just absolutely vile. And the more I reflect on it as I get older and I learn more about the world, I'm like, mate, why was that okay? That wasn't okay. And anyway, just to go back to my time now in London, the harassment that I get by being hit on, as mm. these women women describe, being hit on is almost daily for me. And it is so horrible. And I'll get some women say to me, oh, but you, like that's attention, like you must love it, you must love it. I, I, I said to my, I was actually talking about this last night with my partner, I said to him, I would give an arm, I would give up my arm to not be noticed in public, to not be hit on in public. I promise you, if I if you could guarantee to me that that wouldn't happen to me anymore, I'd give you my arm. That's how much I hate it, and that is how horrible I find it. So for women to tell me that they don't feel they don't feel that it traumatizes them when they're harassed, I just think shut the fuck up. Like you can't tell me how to feel about men preying on me. Um, I think something which. I don't know, we've spoke about this at length and I know on a few occasions I've called Saskia and Tiso and it's actually happened to me. And particularly when times when I've rejected the men, which is 100% men and they're from all different walks of life, I imagine. There's no particular men that prey on me more than others. Um, They've intimidated me if I've rejected them. Oh yeah, no, that's the thing. If you say no, it's like... You, you're a bitch or you're a whore or you're yeah. like, you know. At Peckham Station, a couple of months ago, I had a guy, like, start on me and go to hit me because I told him to leave me alone and get out of my personal space. Like, these are real experiences. So, yeah, I've got friends, I've got peers, I've even got family members who say who will say to me they've never been harassed by men. Like, that is fine, but I have. <laughs> like, and I have, and, and it's really unpleasant. It's funny. I don't know if it's because... Um, so I've got short hair, and when I was younger, I always had, like, quite long hair. And I don't I don't know if that's got anything to do with it or if it's just because I've developed, like, a better fuck you face or whatever, mm. you know, like... Who knows why, but I was being hit on from, like, the age of 11, mm. like, constantly aggressively like all the time especially in my school uniform but it didn't really matter like it was just constant and I think it really I also get it particularly now I don't get it as like I do get it like yesterday this guy was like 
eyeballing me on the tube. And like now I'm confident enough to stare back and be like, what are you looking at? But you know, for a long time I wasn't. And you know, I particularly get it now when I'm with my sister because obviously men, you know, it's their fancy, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, two women who look really similar. It's like, you know, fucking twins or whatever. Um, and actually someone shouts at me, oh, that's like every guy's fancy. And I shout back, fuck off. Yeah. And so he goes, oh, it was only a joke. Yeah. And I was like, well, I didn't find it funny and I'm yeah. your audience, clearly. Yeah. So, like, oh. It's, it's, it is, it's absolutely mental. So I think, I feel like we can just, I could go on for well, days. We about could talk the about experience. But like, but the point is, yeah. All these things are connected. You can't say women shouldn't complain about it. Like, complain, like, because basically, this woman was saying, but complaining about being raped is fine. Yeah. Complaining about sexual harassment is not fine. Those are obviously, and also, just a side note on that, I was also in France when the whole Dominic Strauss-Kahn thing erupted, which was, he is really important. He was the head of the International um, Monetary Fund, and... He was about, he was kind of the guy waiting to become the head of um, the Socialist Party in France, which was a big deal because Sarkozy and like the right wing had been in power for ages and he was gonna like save the left. Anyway, he's in a hotel in New York and a chambermaid accused him, I can't remember if she accused him of raping her or trying to rape her. And the reaction of basically every French person I spoke to was like, well, she's obviously lying because mm. they're trying to bring down the left. Mm. And I was like, mm. well, that's yeah. great. <laughs> there, is this, there, is, there is this really important debate, I guess, happening with people that are women that are saying they have been raped or sexually harassed by men in power, that we should always believe them. And it's a real, it's a really, the, the, it's a really contentious issue, but... I just find it so difficult that we wouldn't automatically, obviously innocent till proven guilty and whatever, but I just find it really unsettling that we would automatically think they're lying, lo- they're lying a lot of the time. Well, yeah, it's like this, there was this, I, um, you and I have talked about this, there was that court case where um, it was thrown out because the woman said she'd been raped and then the police withheld evidence and yeah. then when the judge got it, he said there's no case to answer. And then the guy is like gonna sue yeah the police yeah and like okay there was something went wrong there was some kind of like that bad gets behavior the att- that gets that's the, what gets that's the attention. attention that the woman lied we don't know the woman lied we just know we that have, there wasn't enough evidence yeah, yeah like that means him. nothing and basically all the news coverage has been like oh my god that poor guy he was accused of rape and it's like that woman might have been and statistically probably was raped by him because very very few women falsely accuse their rapists yeah like, if anything, women are much more likely to never tell anyone. Yeah. Like, that is the... And, like, you know, at the same time, you've got, like, the John Warboys thing, mm. which I remember in 2007, because I used to read newspapers then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, the big thing about that case, the reason that it's so contentious, is because loads of women went to the police and they were laughed out of the station. Yeah. Literally laughed out the station, and then that everyone's like, "Oh no, he's a serial rapist." It's like women are like, "Yeah, we knew that mm. because he was attacking us." Mm. Like saying that sexual harassment doesn't matter is basically saying that like women should just shut up and let men get off, go on with whatever they want to do. Yeah, which is what is known as rape culture. That is rape culture. Yeah. It is linked to rape. It really mm-hmm. is. Like. I don't know, Catherine Deneuve, like, maybe you've lived a really privileged life where you have not been subject to that kind of attack. And but fair I think enough. you probably have. But a lot of Because yeah. you're a famous actress and you're, like, considered beautiful. And yeah. So men probably have felt like they have a right to a body. So, you know. Something that was missing as well from their interview, obviously, was the intersectional aspects to this. Now, I am a woman of colour and something that I've been reflecting on with Saskia is one of the reasons why I think I get routinely sexually harassed, mainly on public transport, mm. um, is because people think I'm fair game. Yeah. Um, and I do think that is intertwined with my skin colour. Like, I, I, do, I do feel like that. And for these two white women to tell me 
and other other women, not just not just me as a woman of colour, working class women, vulnerable women, disabled mm. women, that we should just suck it up and realise that men sometimes want to flirt and they should be allowed to. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's so narrow-minded. It's completely essentialising the experience of women into one category of just being women. It's, it's not just women. There's so many different aspects of womanhood that it's... But I think also it shows, like, the strength of oppression. Yeah, like patriarchy. There are women literally signed up to patriarchy and being like, don't be mean to men. Yeah. Like, you know, they only want to have sex with you. Like, just... Come on. You know. Yeah, deal with it. (laughs) Stop being such a prude, you know. The other strength of patriarchy is I'm now using a mechanism of patriarchy to stop men hitting on me. So I've started saying to men, when they hit on me, I'm married. I've started saying, I'm married. I had a guy, I had a guy actually, I've had a couple of guys actually say, oh, where's your ring? And I've been like, oh, I don't wear it. I don't wear it to the gym. Oh, I'm not wearing it at the moment. It's clear. Like, I have to explain myself to stop a man coming on to me in public that's so upsetting because yeah because it's dangerous to tell someone to fuck off is dangerous if you say so yeah no actually this happened to me once um more recently it wasn't really sexual harassment it was just annoying in i was in a bar in norwich um with a friend of mine and this guy who was clearly an alcoholic came out to start chatting which in itself is like not an issue but then he just like wouldn't leave yeah and so I was sitting there thinking okay I need to get this guy to leave but I also need to get him to not be violent towards us because Mm -hmm. like rejected men tend to lash out and I've had friends who have had horrible experiences like calling people out on the street and stuff yeah and you know he was drunk like I don't I didn't really know he was telling yeah he started telling us all these like really harrowing stories from his childhood and I was just sitting there thinking like I have to get this guy to leave I don't want him there and so in the end I was like I'm really sorry to interrupt you but you know like me and my friend are just like having a drink and like would you mind just like leaving us you know and what I really want to be like is like you know could you stop can you just back off yeah and this happens to me all the time Buzz and like often the other person I'm with, who you should be a woman, won't feel able to say anything. Mm. Like, it's really scary because mm-hmm. you don't want to incur that kind of anger from someone when you're in a vulnerable position. Yeah. But, like, you know, generally, if you're having a conversation with a friend, you're not looking for other people to join that conversation. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's reasonable to expect mm-hmm. that, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's. I can't remember what we were talking about. We were just talking about... Oh, yeah, no, the reaction of men, like being afraid of the reaction of men and rejection. That is also part of it, that for men, like, it's such a, like, shameful thing to be rejected by a woman. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I am concerned a lot of the time about my safety... Um, nowadays and that sounds like I'm being dramatic I promise you I am not being dramatic I am worried about how maybe one day I'm walking down the street and I'm in a bad mood and I'm like oh can you just stop can you get out of my face can you stop driving next to me what if one day I get like properly attacked and I actually don't manage to get away from that person which I have which I've done so many times when someone's propositioned me I've rejected them and then they've come for me like what if I don't actually get away and that and that is a real fear for me every day every time I step out into public and we'll get some women say to us oh it's because you wear makeup oh it's because you wear tight trousers oh it's because you wear like that whole argument as well like really well that is also rape culture because it's basically saying like you've brought this on yourself oh you've brought this on yourself and it's so disappointing that I mean you made an amazing point about um, about sharing your about not feeling like you understand someone else's politics what did you say again oh yeah well I think what what really bothers me about stuff like this is you can't always define your political position based on what you can imagine other people's experiences as. Boom. So, you know, 
I have no experience of being a black woman, mm-hmm. but I can imagine, I mean, maybe this is an easy thing to imagine, but I can imagine that your experience of sexual harassment is very different to mine because of the way black women are sexualized. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine what it's like to uh, be a working class person living in London, but I can also just be like, you know, people have rights to be able to afford to live in places where, you know, they've grown up. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't I don't see why it's okay for these women to say, well, I can't imagine what it's like. Therefore, it's not... Therefore, it's invalid. Yeah, like, your experience of sexual harassment is invalid. Like, you are... Like, we are all, but your experience particularly is that you're under threat of violence because of the sexual harassment. Yeah. Like... It's scary. It yeah. is scary. It's a frightening thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it starts when you're really young. And then, you know, people say, I've, I've heard older women say, well, you get to a certain age and then you're just completely invisible. Mm-hmm. And that's not better. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, basically, if people don't want to fuck you, you're not a person. Yeah. Like, that isn't better. Mm-hmm. But, that you know, just because you experience men making comments on you on the street or men touching you in the street or like threatening you in the street mm-hmm. you might not experience that as a big deal mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it isn't for a lot of people and that it isn't a very real threat mm-hmm. so yeah I call bullshit yes <laughs> let's, let's say that we call bullshit on that um but then again, you know, there are plenty of people who will be like, oh, finally someone's someone's selling the truth, you know? Like, yeah. I want to be able to hit on women. And now I feel like I can't because of this whole Harvey Weinstein thing. Like, he's ruined it for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so, I just, no, I just, it just, it, it gets you down, doesn't it? It yeah. does get you down. Um, particularly when people... Is the right word invalidate when people particularly invalidate invalidate your experience? experience. Yeah, definitely. And women's experiences, particularly. Like, should we talk about problems in feminism? Okay, so I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. (laughs) We are feminists. (laughs) Talk to me about your introduction to feminism, Saskia. Um. So I don't really remember not being a feminist. Like I can accept that as a child, I didn't go around telling everyone I was a feminist, mm-hmm. but I do remember being called a lady as a five-year-old and being like, I'm not a lady. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. I don't know if that was a feminist statement or not. We'll okay. see. Um, but yeah, so I went to an all girls school and, um, uh, me and a friend of mine were really into feminism. Didn't really know where to look initially. And I still have a copy of The Female Eunuch. I still haven't read the whole thing. Um, but yeah, because we just didn't, we just didn't like, it wasn't a thing. Like I cannot explain how different feminism is now to what it was when I was 13. So, you know, that's only like, 2005 or something like it wasn't something people talked about it definitely was not cool um so you know we'd talk about it but it was not something that all our friends would talk you know Mm -hmm. like we didn't have like the internet didn't exist in the same way like we used to use the internet to play bubble trouble at lunchtime like oh my god we have bubble trouble (laughs) yeah we weren't like instagramming and stuff yeah um that was great and Neopets, remember Neopets? No. Oh, oh vaguely. It was very pointless. Um, anyway, so then um, as a teenager, I got like really into feminism and that was kind of my way into sociology. And um, I was like the only feminist in my school. Like I'm sure there were other quieter ones, but like, it was definitely something that everyone would be like, lol, like Saskia, like, oh, she's such a feminist. Let's like provoke Saskia by asking her questions about feminism or like be like, what do you think about prostitution? You know, like yeah, you ask like really provocative questions just to like wind me up. Um, and it was really annoying. But anyway, um, so I did sociology at uni and again was like the only feminist in my group of friends, but then they all became feminists and I totally credit myself. <laughs> and I was women's officer at York um, 
and became like quite disillusioned with feminism for a bit because I felt like a lot of what I was seeing was very um I don't know there was just like a lot of hate in it like I went to the National uh, Union of Students Women's Conference um which like a few like I think it's like four women from each university are invited as representatives if you're in the NUS and um it was just a mess of like inviting and nastiness and people shouting out like, oh, you're excluding this person or like, oh, like that shadism or like, you know, just like, and I, you know, I'm all for critiquing people, but it was just that kind of culture of like, it was almost like everyone was a suspect in not being true to the cause somehow. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, this is nasty. Like, yeah. it was just nasty. And like, you know, I met some great people there and like some of it was good, but it just really was not what I was interested in doing. I found the whole experience of being a women's officer like incredibly stressful, partly because York's a really misogynistic university and um, I... I'd seen what happened to previous women's officers. I felt like I could never say what I thought ever because people, like, you know, people were so ready to take you down. Mm. Like, not just men, but, like, other women, other feminists. Like, if you came... If you said something about a controversial issue that people didn't agree with, they just, like, literally tore you to shreds. And, like, I was Googling myself because... As you do, um, and I've I found never done that. You've never done I've that. Never done it. What? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so I found a quote for myself as a women's officer on the Guardian students website. I did, it was just like they obviously. Were, I mean, yeah, I know, big cheese. Um, and it was like. Well, on the one hand, this, but on the other hand, this, and frankly, I'm not going to come to a, like literally every time I was asked to talk about anything, I'd just be like. Yeah, I don't have an opinion on it, but this is some opinions people might have on it. That's, yeah. No, it was horrible. It was like, I felt totally... You couldn't... Castrated by the the fear of that backlash. And because feminism was by then, like, a much much bigger movement, it was, like, a much more, like, robust and, like, growing movement, the backlash also was getting bigger and bigger, I think. Mm -hmm. Um... So yeah, that was kind of my experience of feminism. And then I just didn't, like, um, when I left uni, I was really ill. And so I like, didn't think about it that much. And I guess these days, I kind of, I'm not interested in being like an activist because I just don't think that's me. Like, I don't think I'm robust enough for it. You have to be really, mm. like, willing to withstand a lot of pressure. Right, this is activism. This is activism, sure, yeah. But I'm not in, like, activist circles. Yeah, no, I understand. Like, yeah, I I see this as a form of activism, but I'm not, like, in the gang. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I guess I sort of just do my own feminist thing from the sidelines. But I guess also as you get older, you sort of realise that you're going to make very little difference. I mean, on yeah. like a kind of <laughs> grand society, you know, when you, I was a teen, yeah. I was like, I've got to change the world. And then you realise that patriarchy and misogyny is just so deeply, you know, like, yeah. I don't start fights with people about feminism like I did when I was 15 because I'm like, well, you know, you're probably always going to be a dick. So yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not really down for that. But then I would also say that my feminism has been changed a lot as I've become more and more aware of issues of race of stu- and stuff because I didn't really have any awareness of the extent to which people reacted to me like in a racialized way until mm-hmm. I went to university mm-hmm. and so that's really changed my feminism like becoming more aware of that like mm-hmm. talking to people of colour about it mm-hmm. and trying to understand basically what intersectionality actually is yeah because I'd never really been confronted with that before. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's my little feminist it, journey. I like that. <laughs> uh, no, that's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how different our 
experiences are, but then what unites us mm. um, so much, regardless of our experiences growing up, yeah. there's a lot that unites me and you, and obviously Tiso as well. Um, my experiences with feminism came a lot later. And reflecting on that now, I think it's because there wasn't space in my life for feminism. I was a working class brown girl growing up in the West Midlands in a town which was predominantly white. So I was one of like about five of us in a school that was of colour, where a particular high school, like there's less people as well. And it was more how I was um, perceived as a woman of colour rather than just as a woman that affected me more and my class um, with regards to, like, economic capital and yeah. social capital. But, like, I think... So, like, you spoke about people in your class, like, wanting to antagonise you. Like, yeah. oh, Saskia, what do you think about that? When it came to issues of race, and in particular yeah, the only yeah. issues of race that you discuss in school is the slave trade. It'd be like, oh, what does Chantel think about that? <laughs> like, it was... It, that was, like, my my life was framed by my racial difference I would say um but like I have really good memories of growing up particularly with my friends like we were we're so tight but I think that's because and I've been talking a lot about this with my partner like even though most of my close friends from home are white what united us I think was our class credentials as in our working the fact that we were all working class were there not very many working class people in your school or do you just think I think so I'm from the the town I'm from is Bromsgrove no one has got that much money unless you live in like a um, affluent part of Bromsgrove it's a it's a it's a conservative town people are politically conservative Mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean people have got money people are like if you were going on the ski trip like parents were paying in installments like it was such a big deal that you were getting to go like away with like do you know what I mean like we weren't we didn't really know what wealth was until we all went to university I'd say so what so feminism there wasn't space for it in my life I don't think growing up and then I don't even think there was space for it when I was at university again because of class pressures like I worked a lot um I was very aware I was hyper-visual and hyper-visual as a woman of colour at Loughborough University because, again, it was a predominantly white space and I was also hyper-sexualised as well. But I didn't quite make the connections between patriarchy and feminism. Like, I didn't understand... I didn't understand... I didn't understand what my position meant, basically, in these spaces, and now I do. Um, And I think probably more so in the last few years and particularly during my um when I did my um undergraduate dissertation um I came more aware of um the position of women and particularly women of color in Britain and that sounds like I came to it quite late and I think I did I think I'm still learning a lot about feminism I am I am a feminist I believe I am a feminist I am here for women I want to help women in any way I can um but I don't feel like when I've read books about um feminism and when I've read journals about feminism I sometimes feel like my experiences are missing from Mm. the conversation and I do kind of align myself with like the white feminists listen to us movement like I do feel like there is a lot of work to do with regards to the as you said the intersectional aspects of womanhood well I thought Um, it was really interesting I mean the you know like the um Oprah speech at the Golden Globes yeah the the fact that she said you know like the women whose names we'll never know like Mm. domestic workers migrant workers yeah like that is that's so left out yeah feminism massively because like it's racialized, isn't yeah. it? Like domestic work. I mean, particularly in the US, I don't know about here so much. Um, but you know, like there, like and here, class and race and gender yeah. and all those things are so enmeshed. I can like you know you can see how it's hard to like disentangle them when yeah. you're like in that 
I don't really know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. You're talk- you're saying that we can't. Is does there have to be? There has to probably be separate branches of feminism because we can't be all encompassing. I don't think. Yeah, women's experiences are so different. I guess it's always that thing of the women who have the most privilege in society tend to be the voices we hear. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that those women don't suffer as a result of patriarchy, but, like, other women probably suffer more. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. And just like people feel uncomfortable talking about their privilege, like their white privilege, Mm. and we've spoken a lot about this, I do sometimes feel like white women feel uncomfortable talking about their privilege as white women in a patriarchal society. Massively. And you get the defence, which I understand, like, humans are imperfect. Like, we don't like being told that we are privileged. We don't like it. But I... Because there's always that thing of, oh, you're taking away from my experience. Yeah. And... No, yeah, no, a really classic example of this, I think, and maybe this is just me, but there's a big thing in newspapers that you, and maybe this is because, I read the statistic the other day, 51% of journalists went to Oxbridge. Not nuts. Um, But yeah, so it's like a big thing that people talk about the abuse that went on in boarding schools. Mm. Um, or still goes on but you know like boys being sexually abused or mm-hmm. like her, like raped or whatever uh, but no one talks about the same issue in state schools mm-hmm. that capital punishment used to be a real thing and mm-hmm. that like there were probably a lot of people still carrying around the scars from that mm-hmm. you know what I mean but it's because there are more people from boarding school in with a voice like and it's exactly the same with like the women's movement women like you know, like, everyone's celebrating um, something to do with Melissa Fawcett on the radio. Like, there's got some programme about the Women's March, which happened a year in, ago. A oh. hundred years ago. Oh, a hundred years ago. <laughs> I thought we were talking about a year ago. No, 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 not yeah. the Hillary Clinton one. Not Well, you know what I mean. The Women's yeah. March after Trump was... Um, so it was, like, something... So the force... Uh, what do you call it? The suffragists, that's it. Yeah. So the suffragists, a hundred years ago, organized, um, well, it must have been like in 19, it must have been before the war, I think it was 1913, organized some huge march, um, which took about like six weeks and women came like all these different routes from all over the country um, and ends up in Westminster. And, you know, like it's a, it's basically a forgotten part of women's history, but, you know, she was saying, you know, like in lots of places that anti-suffragists would like arrive in the town first, stir up opposition, and then when the women got there, they'd be attacked. Like all this kind of stuff. But, like, you know, like what never gets remembered is the exclusion of black women, women of colour yeah. from the suffragist movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we always talk about oh, you know, like, isn't it great women got the vote? And it's like... I find it uncomfortable. I honestly find yeah. the suffragists, suffragettes movement... It's really hard I find to talk it, about. I find it... Because, un- meanwhile, my ancestors are the, are the slaves for these women. Yeah. It, it's it's hard. But, I, but, but that doesn't... I don't mean to silence those white women. I don't want to do that. I just want you to acknowledge... And lots of white women, lots of white yeah. feminists do. They do, but I feel like there needs to be more acknowledgement yeah. of that that history. Just like how we we talk about the fact that we need to have decolonisation, yeah. it's sort you sort of need that in the feminist movement Absolutely. as well. Another thing I want to talk about is Sassia's teaching me a lot about feminist theory. <laughs> Almost like as again, because I said I'm new to it. I asked her the other day, because I'm an avid fan of... It's the right word, avid. Yeah. I'm an avid fan of Munro Bergdorf. Mm-hmm. And she Who's is she? a trans um, woman activist and model, or model and activist. Mm. Um, she's amazing. She's doing so much to elevate trans women and women of colour. And she's brilliant. Anyway, she tweeted the other day about how she was sick of going to, um, being invited to events where she had to defend the position of trans women to like 
right-wing commentators and turfs. And I was like, Saskia, can, um, when you've got a minute, can you explain to me what a turf is? And I was like, oh, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, I'm going to do a bit of research. And so and- I said, I said, it's people, uh, turf stands for trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And I was like, you know, it's people like Jermaine Grew and Julie Bindle. So then I did a bit of research into the two... They don't describe themselves as TERFs. It's a derogatory term, basically. And I basically found this really ugly side of feminism that I did know existed, Mm. but it's very exclusionary. And my... um, not just to trans women, like I think to to women of colour and obviously trans women of colour, mm-hmm. it I found it so uncomfortable. My conclusion after watching some of their um, lectures was that politics is in such a weird phase at the moment where we know, obviously, as sociologists, because we're constantly critiquing right and left wing analysis. That those those but that binary is so it doesn't really exist anymore. Like listening to these turfs talking about feminist issues, I might as well have been watching fucking Nigel Farage talk about immigrants. It was honestly, I found it so uncomfortable to watch. But I think that's also because maybe we have an association with like the left being better at this kind of thing, like better at having debates, better at yeah, like more inclusive thinking but you know like there has always been a very authoritarian side of leftism you know like Stalinism uh, yeah so maybe Stalinism is the best example you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. you Mouse can have author- you can be authoritarian and on the left as yeah. much as you can be authoritarian on the right and that kind of hatred of outsiders I guess is something that exists is so ingrained in our culture and I think any group which feels like they are under attack, mm-hmm. which, to be fair to Judy Bindle, like, lesbian women, you know, like, yeah. where is our representation? Exactly, yeah, yeah, no, I... T- I, t- I t- She's got a point to that. She has got a point to that, but telling a trans woman that they were assigned a man and that means that they're gender dysphoria that they suffered as a young person is invalid and doesn't cooperate with the experiences of women. It's just so like, I was absolutely flabbergasted and felt really, after watching a series of lectures um, by TERFs, um, I said to Saskia I was just so shocked and disappointed to see this attack on people. But also is that essentialism of like you can't be a woman because you don't know what it is to be a woman. It's like, what does it mean to be a woman? It's surely feminism should should be critiquing the whole idea of that being a woman is one thing, and therefore we have to stay in our box. You yeah. know, like we should be challenging that. And I, yeah, we was you know we were talking about this earlier, but you know the idea that you can't imagine what it's like to be trans, therefore you can't include trans women in your movement. It's ludicrous. It's, like, it's yeah. just mad to say, well, you know, we don't have the same experience, so no, the door's closed to you. Like, I don't know, and I guess it comes from, like, a defensive place, you know? Like, if you've always felt under attack and you know that if you weren't a woman, you wouldn't have been under attack, for someone to want to, like, share your mantle of oppression in that way when they didn't have to, maybe, like, I can imagine that maybe they're spinning it so that they're saying, like, this person, uh, you know, had male privilege and they've chosen to have, like, you know, female subordination and, you know, that's fake. It's fake to want to be, in the same way that, you know, claiming to be black when you're not and saying that you're, like, you know, because you there's something kind of, uh, fetishized about black yeah. oppression, yeah, like that is very much frowned on, yeah, for good reason. Of course, <laughs> of course. I guess maybe there's something of that in that spinning of like feminism, saying you know, like no, you can't be part of our movement because you're choosing this oppression. But 
that is so so narrow minded. So narrow minded, and it's so. I just I. I really try, I'm really trying, and one part of my New Year's resolution is to understand different <laughs> perspectives. But I'm sorry, that is a no like, for me. Yeah. That is an absolute no. I mean, I just, I cannot imagine the horror of having to live in a society which is so obsessed with gender and not feeling comfortable with the gender everyone perceives you as. Yeah. Like, that must be so, like, just the idea of having to come to terms with that on yourself. Like, that is so tough. That is it such is a- so tough. And something that we're seeing so much more in the media now is this casual transphobia. Mm. <clears throat> and I was actually... I've been listening to quite a lot of radio phone-in um, shows recently on LBC and um, trying to listen to more BBC um, radio stations as well just to try and keep myself... Um, understanding how society thinks basically rather than just not keeping myself in my leftist bubble um my snowflake bubble as we get described as now (laughs) and do you know what what someone called in and said um uh to one of the lbc shows i think it was a trans woman came in and uh, and said basically that homophobia has now been replaced by um, transphobia. Like the mainstream nature of homophobia in the past is now transphobia, and that they're the new, trans trans people are like the new hate, t- ha- hate target because. Well, I'd like to think I'm not. I'm not gay, but I would like to think that there is a little bit more acceptance of of gay people. They've still got a long way to go, but. That trans people have got to start sort of at the like. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I don't know. I just think the two things have very different histories. Such different like, histories. Of course, I do. But like, like the the I'm just noticing this mainstream critique of the experience of trans people. I'm mm. like, who the hell are you to say? Like, who the hell am even not me? But I think I it's to also say what the experience is like. It's because it's been in the public eye. Um so much yeah you know like people again like anything that gets raised gets a backlash like yeah. that's just the way things work like you can see it in waves of feminism you can see it in yeah. you know like anti-racist campaigns you could like just anything and like you know waves of like gay liberation movements whatever anything that happens there just has to be a massive backlash because mm. it's uncomfortable like people don't like being challenged in their prejudices for a lot of people they just want to really like dig themselves into that trench and stay there like you know like we will not accept people who are different and you know people don't like change and when that change starts to have a voice the people who don't like change get uncomfortable no actually yeah no sorry I was thinking about um also, what one reason I've had someone who is a radical feminist who is anti-trans women being part of feminism or being seen as women, and she was like, oh, "Sorry, I just find that I really, I really <laughs> struggle with it. It really yeah, upsets me. Sorry, yeah." And she was saying, uh, "Oh, you know, well, why is it that so many and like just sorry thinking about the idea of like oppression being kind of fetishized and something people want to be." Uh, when they're not oppressed um, she was like oh you know why is it so many more people want to transition from male to female than from female to male I was thinking about it and I guess one of the things about being male is because of homophobia and because of misogyny being a man who wants to take on feminine characteristics or like ways of living or dressing or acting are so much more stigmatised than women who want to behave in a masculine way yeah. And I'm not saying, like, obviously, if you're a butch lesbian, you get a lot of hate. And I'm not saying that that is universally true. Yeah. But, um, you know, women seeing as wanting to be slightly more masculine in some situations can be positive. Mm-hmm. Like, in a workplace or something, people don't want people who, like, like I don't know, like, the idea, you know, like, running like a girl. Like, people who embody female physicality are seen mm-hmm. as weak. So I can see why if you're someone like 
maybe historically people haven't sorry this is me talking on my ass but maybe historically people haven't wanted necessarily transition gender if they're a woman mm. if they're assigned gender of feminine like of, of assigned female gender because there's more wiggle room mm. for women to behave in a more masculine fashion mm. whereas for men because of that homophobia and because of that misogyny actually maybe transitioning is like the only thing you can do is just to like be seen as a woman otherwise you the, the amount of discrimination you receive as a feminine man is mm. just like unbearable mm-hmm. but yeah sorry that's slightly off topic <laughs> no I mean I think but I mean also that shows the extent to which like you know if anything that is just further evidence of how oppressed women are and how much femininity is seen as that it's it's further evidence for how ingrained patriarchy is in everything we do and everything in the way society works. Saskia, let's have some um, <laughs> recommendations for society on how to combat this. How what are your rec- What are your recommendations? Oh my god! I've got some. I've got one recommendation for men. Okay. This is about us. Like this is not about. It's about your behaviour. But this is our platform to talk about how we feel. So stop making this about you. (laughs) (laughs) That is my. Stop saying. Oh, I don't feel like I can't flirt with my colleague in the office anymore in case they go to HR. You're not stupid. Like, people are not stupid. Sense the environment. Sense how... To what extent does this woman actually want me to ask her out on a date? Exactly. You're not and stupid. if she's at work, she probably doesn't. She has every right to go to HR. Like, yeah. stop harassing your colleagues. Yeah. Stop watching your friends harass their colleagues. Stop, like, turning a blind eye to misogyny. Like, stop being misogynist, firstly. I don't know, society to combat this, I always think, like, it is so hard because, from, like, a policy point of view, to combat the oppression of all women, as we were saying, like, it's so complicated. Like, Mm. I always think, like, for example, like, having better paternity leave, I think we should have it. I think we should definitely have better paternity leave. We should have more acceptance that, like, childcare is important and a central part of society and Mm. every society needs to raise their children, so Mm. why don't we value that more? But then again, you know, like, lots of women end up bringing other people's children... You know, lots of women have to keep working instead of taking maternity leave. Like, it's not an option for a lot of people. Maternity leave isn't an option for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Mm. So, like, I don't really know. I don't really know what the answer is. But I think my recommendation for society is try to imagine what other people's lives are like. That is, Boom. That is, that is great. all I would say. And just because you don't know, just because, ev- appreciate that because you don't know women from all different walks of life, you can't say that you feel that women aren't oppressed. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know all the experiences, so stop saying you do. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> I think we're going to leave it there. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantel and Saskia. We'll be back in two weeks for another podcast. So don't forget to subscribe. Bye.